something happened. Julie and I are driving down the road, minding our own business. She'd been in Colorado. I'd been here. We were glad to be back together. We're in Kentucky near a little town called Eddyville on I-24 going 70 miles an hour when a deer appeared. And all I could do was say, deer. And bam. I'm pretty sure it was a moose. It was huge. And uh, it did that to our lovely little car, our lovely sedan. Um, they tell me that's not going to be fixed. Um, the airbags exploded or went off, they deployed, and there was a haze in the car. And the semi that was behind us went around us, praise God. We're slowing down. This, the hood had flown up in front of the windshield. We couldn't see where we were going. And uh, I got off to the shoulder. I think I could feel that we were on the shoulder. Then I got off onto the grass. I could feel that we were on the grass. We got it shut down, and we began to thank Jesus. Praise him for his grace. We were out of control. And uh, as we were a little bit disoriented because of the haze and all the, and Julie said, are we right side up? <laughs> I said, I think so. Got out of the car. Someone stopped to help us. The, the Kentucky State Police came. We got to ride in the back of a police car. It's a little odd. There's bars right here. And there's bars right here. What? And you can't get out. There's no handle on the inside. Some of you probably know all about this. And it's not comfortable at all in there. I think we're sitting on hard plastic. We have luggage in our lap. And the guy was great. And he took us to, my sister had, had a home nearby, so we were able to get out of there. But, you know, what really struck me about this whole thing is we were in control until we were out of control. And that God is really in control. I always pray about how I'm supposed to see an event like you never want to miss what God might be saying. And that's what I kept hearing over and over in my prayer life is I'm in control when you're in control. It just feels that way. Oh, you need to be a safe driver. You need to pay attention to what you're doing, right? Now, I'm not just going to go, hey, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, it's a good song. But you really need to hold on to the wheel and you need to drive well. But you're not in control because a deer can change everything. We're so grateful. We were unhurt. have to go car shopping now <laughs> but as we look at Genesis 7 and 8 today we're looking at the idea that Noah's not in control instead he is shut into an ark and he's flooded in reality that's how we're really living we're shut in and we're floating that's the title of our message today, Genesis chapter 7 and 8. We'll start with uh, chapter 7, verse 11. Let me just set the stage for what's happened. If you're just joining us, you can always go back and hear these messages online. But here's what's happened so far. God has identified Noah as a righteous man. Doesn't mean that Noah was perfect, right? Noah was not without sin. But Noah comes from the line of Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve. 
And this line, especially uh, Seth's son Enosh, it says that that's when men begin to call on the name of the Lord. And this is the, the line of Noah's family that they did somehow worship God. Didn't know a lot, but had some, some relationship with God. They called on the name of the Lord. Because remember, Cain's side of the family is a very uh, evil and uh, awful side of the family. They are not calling on the name of the Lord. And so Noah is identified by God as the last person who's calling on the name of the Lord. So God identifies him and he gives him an assignment, right? He says, listen, I want you to build a box. We have this idea that it's this beautiful boat. It was boat-like, but it's really more of a treasure chest, if you will. It's a wooden box to save all of the animals and eight humans from what God is going to do to evil. And it's a, literally, this building project, it's a 100-year sermon. As people would walk by, they would go, hey, Noah, what you doing? Yeah, it's going to rain. And they're like, what's rain, Noah? We've already been through this. Never rained. Why would we think it's going to rain? I don't know what rain. It's water that comes from the, from the sky. That's what's going to happen. Can you just imagine those conversations? Why is water going to come from the sky? Because God said so. And because God's tired of evil people and the evil's gotten so great, God's going to drown all the evil people. So God's going to drown me? Yes. So that's why you're building the ark? Yes. Can you imagine that conversation that goes on for 100 years? I love that God took the time to think. That's how he functions. God always tells people from this point forward what he is about to do, even if it's 100 years So God told Noah, you're going to have, uh, you're going to bring in animals two by two of all the clean animals and all the animals that are ceremonially clean that we'll learn about later in Leviticus. Um, it's, he brings seven of those and then one pair of the other animals, the unclean animals. He brings them into the ark and let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter seven, beginning in verse 11. It says in the 600th year of Noah's life, that statement alone kind of enough to set us back right 600 years i'm 61 i don't think i could build an ark today do you 600 years we'll talk about that a little more in the in the future 600 year of noah's life in the second month on this on the 17th day of the month on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forward and the windows of heavens were open and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights Really interesting how specific he is. He says the author Moses records this. This, this has been an oral tradition that has been passed down for many years. And, and Moses, by the, uh, by the Spirit of God, writes this down that it was the 600th year. It was the second month. It was the 17th day. You say, why does that matter? Well, it matters because we're going to see him get out of the ark in his 601st year in the second month, the 27th day. So it's going to give us the time frame. But also this time frame is a cue to us to realize this is a real event. This is not a parable. It's not a myth. Myths aren't told this way with these specific time stamps in them. So you can be confident that the Bible is writing and reporting something that is very true. It is historical and that it really happened. Now, it's interesting it says that the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven, it talks about those two things. We always think about from the time that Miss Mirtha taught us the story of Noah as children, 
with the flannel graph and, and all that, right? Um, when you're Sunday school teacher, when you're parents, when you read this in the children's Bible, all you really hear about is that it rained. But the reality is there was this water that burst forth from the depths of the earth and this water that fell from the sky. And this reminds us in Genesis chapter 1 when we studied that, that there was water above and water below, and God separated the two. Genesis chapter 1 verse 6 says, God said, let there be an expanse, and this kind of expanse refers to our atmosphere in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters, which sounds confusing to us. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. So here's how God set it up. He set up a lot more moisture in the air than there is today, and there was waters that were in the earth. And Genesis chapter 2, verse 6 says, a mist was going up from the land. It was watering the whole face of the ground. And so here's what you had. You had this, this, these waters in the earth that were constantly misting. I don't know how. I don't know if they had sprinkler heads. I don't know how it all worked. I don't know if you hit them with your lawnmower, if they would break. I don't know. But they had the earth would mist and basically water itself, and then there was water in the atmosphere. And when the flood happened, that changed and a lot of the moisture from the air that was very likely protecting the earth from the rays of the sun and allowing people to live as long as they did, that all changed. And that's how God, one of the ways God used to shorten lifespan. Really important to understand that after the flood, lifespans shortened from six, seven, eight, nine hundred years, I don't know, to less than 120. So the waters burst forth. The waters burst forth from the earth and came down from the atmosphere, and it was time to board the ark. Verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons, with them they entered the ark. They and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock, according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. The Lord closed the door. Always pay attention to these transitions scripture always pay attention when there's a shift Noah has been a builder and now he's going to be a manager he's going to step into this floating box that God designed and he enters this floating box and God shuts him in what must that felt like I'm used to building now I'm going to be shut in I'm used to being able to go wherever I want. Now I'm going to be limited to this box. I used to manage a lot of stuff. I'm going to be managing this floating box of animals and seven other humans. You think he felt vindicated at this point? A hundred years. A hundred years people have been making fun of Noah. You think he was looking at them going, I'm sorry that you're going to die. I think it was probably some very mixed feelings as he gets on the ark. He and the animals. His family's probably pretty happy right now that this ridiculous thing that Noah's been doing has finally proven to be of value. And they're all very blessed to get to be alive. 
Noah was shut in. He was limited like never before in his life. Maybe you've been in that position where something has happened and you're no longer able to do what you used to do. And for a time, you're shut in and you've, you've got to do exactly what God tells you to do. And you're not able to, to go wherever you want to go, do whatever you want to do. Noah is, flood, is shut in and floating. Verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. And the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. Let me just pause there. You've never built a boat at this moment? Good for you. Can you imagine thinking, is this thing actually going to float? That's what I'd be thinking. I'd be, is this thing really going to float? Does put, did you put the drain plug in? Did I put the drain is it going to float? It had to be a moment of just, oh, wow, we're floating. Verse 19. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole earth were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, or about 22 feet. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on earth 150 days. The earth flooded. Noah's ark floated and every one and every animal on earth see god was in the process of dealing with evil he was literally limiting evil as he reset the earth for his purpose of redemption and noah was shut up and floating in this boat that was shut in and floating very interesting god is doing something amazing it's horrible for evil but he's resetting the earth for his whole redemptive purpose. And the whole remainder of the biblical narrative is reset at this moment for what God is going to do. He's going to shorten lifespan. People are going to have to respond more quickly. They're going to, evil will not be able to grow at the rate that it would have grown if people could live to be eight or 900 years. He's resetting the earth. In the midst of this, Noah is shut in and floating. Verse one of chapter eight. But God remembered. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. God remembered. You ever have a time in your life you think, God remembered me? I was afraid he forgot. Oh, but he didn't. He came through. The Hebrew concept of the word remember, the word for remembered here, is different than the English concept. For us, if I say, oh, I remembered to take out the trash, it was we almost forgot to take out the trash. Or, hey, I, I just remembered that I was supposed to come to that thing you had, but I actually forgot to go, and now I just remembered, but I had forgotten. But that's not the concept in Scripture. When God remembers something, it's that he is about to fulfill a promise. He didn't forget, it just wasn't time yet. God 
remembered Noah. It's pretty hard to forget, you know, floating around the only thing alive on the whole earth. Um, God remembered Noah. When God remembers, he's simply doing what he promised. God sends a wind to begin to dry the earth. And verse 2 says this, The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. And the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So here's what's happening. There's a, it's, remember, we always think of it just 40 days, right? Everybody thinks, well, you know, it rained for 40 days. It did rain for 40 days. But the waters were, the earth was completely flooded for about five months before the waters begin to abate. And it comes to rest, and no one knows for sure exactly where this is. It's eastern Turkey, northern Iran. Um, but it's, it, it comes to rest in the mountains. And about 40 days later, the 11th month, Noah opens a window. We pick the story up in verse 6. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. And he went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from the earth to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the, on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he set forth, sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back with him, came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. It's interesting that as he can feel the ark settle, he can see mountaintops, that he instead of just charging forward and breaking open the ark, he sends forth some really high-tech reconnaissance drones. Right? I mean, that's essentially what he's doing. He's trying to see, well, what is out there? I can only see my area. I want to know, is it safe? Is, have the waters abated? Or am I just in a, in a high mountain and there's nothing really else growing or anything happening, but he sends forth a raven. The ravens have a lot of distance. They can fly. He sends forth the dove. Of course, she didn't find anything. Doves don't fly really far. And so um, and then he, she comes back with, with a leaf. And there's new life. And he realizes it's, it's time. And there's a little bit of a lesson here we need to remember. When you feel like maybe you've been closed in and floating and it's about time to, to come out of the ark into what God has that's next, you need to make sure it's time. You don't need to rush out of it. If it were me, I'd be like, we've got to get this thing open. I've been riding the back of this police car too long. I mean, I've been riding in this ark too long. You feel like, i got to get out of here. Anybody else claustrophobic? Okay, good. Well, praise God. Thank you for nodding and for not telling the truth. Um, he doesn't hurry. He doesn't hurry. He makes sure that it's time. Because once you open that ark, you're not going to get it closed again. Once you open the door, all those animals are going to come charging out like a 
wild herd of buffalo. They're just going to come out, and you're not going to be able to get it. You, you can't put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak, right? So he's waiting. He's making sure that it is time. Verse 12, we see him empty the bottles. In the 600th, in the first 601st year of Noah's life, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, in the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, again, he waits for God's word to say it's time, uh, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wife and you, Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons, his wife, his son's wife with him. Every beast and every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So let me ask you a question. Are you shut in and closed? Are you shut in and closed? Or are you trying to manage things, trying to control things you should only be managing? Think of Noah floating in this ark. You never see him erecting a sail and putting a rudder on the ark and saying, I got this, guys. I'm going where I want to go. But that's how we kind of wired, isn't it? We're kind of wanting to take control. We can't just be floating in this ark. We've got to be going somewhere. Instead, Noah is managing the animals on the ark in his life. He's taking care of what he's being told and given to take care of. He recognize, recognizes he is shut in and floating. Like you, I love Psalm 139. It's this whole thing about how God never leaves us and how he's in control. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But verses 5 and 6 say this. You hem me in behind and behind and reassure me. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand. Do you know that God hems you in, that he limits you? I mean, some of you often, you just want to burst out. God, I want to want to move forward. You've hemmed me in. Some of you just need to relax and manage what he's giving you to manage. He does hem us in behind and before. We're not owners. We're managers. So many parables speak to this. Matthew chapter 25, there's the, the parable of the talents, right? The guy goes away and he, he gives some of his managers some things to manage and and two of them double their money, but one just hides his in the dirt because he's afraid. The point is that they're managers, they're not owners. They take risk. They know they could lose it, but they feel like that's better than doing nothing. But when the owner returns, they give him his increase. They're just managing. And I love the parable of the soils. Matthew chapter 13, it's also in Luke, the four kinds of soils, you know. Sometimes we think we're in control of the seed. We don't even own the seed. The sower goes forth and he, he throws the seed over four different types of soils. At best, we're not, we're not seed owners, we're not landowners. We're seed managers and we're soil managers. That's when we get the soil ready for the seed. That's our role. We're not in control. You see, 
Then you try to take control of what you should be in charge of. You're trying to do something or say that you can do something, but you can't really do it. You can't really do it. Some good examples. You know, parents, we all think we can control our children, you know? How's that work out for us? I mean, they constantly prove that we really can't control them. I mean, they get diseases and conditions that we can't stop them from getting. They can keep us up all night screaming, I've heard. Um, My kids experience that. My daughters experience that now. Um, They're out of control. And one day, they abandon us. And we have no control. They launch. They go out and do great things or do something. We're not in really control. Parents, we're not owners. We're managers. We're parents. We're to raise children. Control children. We're to raise them well. We're to raise them up in the way they should go. But in the end, they belong to God. They don't belong to us. You see, we're limited. We're shut in and floating. We think that we can control our careers and our incomes. I mean, that's really what business is all about. We're gonna we're gonna move forward. We're gonna be successful. But any businessman can tell you things change. Economic thing, economic conditions change. Industries, whole industries vanish in a heartbeat. Banks fail, investments fail. We can and should manage well. But we have to recognize we're not owners. God's in control. We are shut in and floating. We think we can control our house and our stuff, but one good hurricane or one big beer remind us that we're not in control. We need to take good care of what God gave us. Noah took good care of what God gave him on the ark. But you always have to remember, God's in control. He's in control. I'm shut in and floating. We often think we can control our relationships. Think you can control your spouse. Think you can control someone you're dating. But the reality is everyone has a mind of their own. And also, all of these bodies have an expiration date. We can live healthy and low-risk lives and take care of ourselves, but in the end, we're not really in control. God's in control. We are just shut in and floating. We may think we can control our health. No matter how hard we try, we can't control our own really out of our control. Many of you have asked about my mom. Let's put that picture up. Um, This is mom not long ago. As she is um, enjoying being outside in the autumn weather. And uh, it's been amazing to have conversations with her. As she got the news, we got the news uh, when I was there uh, a couple weeks ago that the disease that she has will take her life within a few weeks, possibly months. And I was the one to give her kind of that final word and say, this is what's happening, Mom. And uh, you've got some time, but eventually at some point you're going to get really sleepy and you're going to go to sleep. And you're going to die. And uh, 
was an amazing, surreal experience to look her in the eye and tell her that. And she said, I'm okay. I'm okay. We've talked about it many times since. And uh, she's delighted. She's at peace. I asked her, she's, I said, Mom, I think you're going to see Jesus and Dad before me. She nodded. She said, what do you want me to ask? I said, I don't need you to ask him anything. He just needs to tell me about Jesus. Don't you believe that's when he made in us through wounding? But he got to know Jesus through wounding. We're not in control. We're shut in. Sometimes I think we pray and we think that's the way we can control it. It's really not what prayer is for. Prayer is for us getting on his agenda. It is praying for things that we want him to do that we know he would want to do. But you know what? When you trust Jesus, you don't need to control it. You don't need to try to control it. See, your life is out of control. Can you receive that? You're not nearly as in control as you look like you are right this minute because you all look great. Your life is out of control. You need to trust the one that is in control. You need to trust Jesus. So this means how do I do that? How do I do that? It's the foundation of trusting Jesus. This is Mark 1.15. When Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Repent and believe. See, the moment of repentance, that moment of repentance, it's a step onto the ark moment. It's saying, I'm stepping out of my abilities, and I'm stepping into you. I'm stepping out of trusting in myself, and I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I'm recognizing that I just want to be shut in and floating in your world, Jesus. That's what that moment of repentance some, that's what they want. I'm not going to repent and believe in Jesus because if I do, I'm going to lose control. I'm going to give control of my life over to this Jesus and I don't know what's going to happen. Let me just give you some advice. You are not in control now. It's an important thing. Jesus, we have to realize something. Jesus is the conquering king. The only question is, will I become a part of his team and a part of his kingdom, or am I still going to be trusting in my own kingdom? Do I have confidence in his kingdom or mine? Which is it going to be? Because he's going to win. The only choice is which team you're going to be on. The winning team or the losing team? Are you going to be shut in and floating, or are you going to be drowned in the ocean? That's the terrifying thing. To not follow Jesus is terrifying because he's going to deal with evil, and it's going to be way worse than I am. It's going to be way worse than I am. It will be the end of the age. People will be hurt. You know what? 
foundationally is you're having trouble releasing control. You're having trouble with your tendency. You're having trouble releasing control. The reason is you don't want to say that I need for Jesus to control my life. You don't want to release this idea that I am good enough. You don't want to actually it happens to believers as well after years they kind of realize i think i don't really need anything anymore i just need to get in control if you're following jesus you do this consistent life of repentance and belief we recognize god's in control he's in control i'm so grateful for that now you might say jesse what is wrong with you i like to control stuff and you know what i'm really good at it People around me like for me to control stuff because I make good decisions. And I'm really comfortable controlling stuff. Here's the thing. When you demand to control stuff that you really are just a manager of or maybe you don't even want to do it, there's two things that are going to happen in your life. They're going to mark your life. First, you're never going to have the peace of Jesus. You're never going to have the peace of Jesus. Because you're always going to be worried about what you're in control of and is it all going to work out? And you're going to constantly be wondering, is this going to, am I going to lose control? And you're going to be so frustrated when inevitably you do lose control. When Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, let your heart not be troubled, you don't because you're trying to control things that you need to control. The second thing that happens that's even worse is when you're trying to be in control, you have a really hard time feeling safe. You have a really hard time with your security in Christ because you know inherently that your control really doesn't work all the time. And when you die, that's the time that matters the most. And can I trust him? And that can, do I have control? You don't have control, but listen, believe that Jesus paid the price and if you are repentant, if you are born again, you are safe. You have that level of humility. Find your peace and resting in him more than in your own ability. When you start to feel like he really does have start to realize I'm not in opposition to him I'm on his team and you change your whole demeanor and your whole life you say well Steve I I don't know what what would it be that I might be trying to control you know a good place to start is the thing that you are chronically brutal how I think about it what are you chronically Your life is out of control. You need to trust the one who is in control. Trust Jesus. You need to repent and believe. Some of you need to do that for the very first time. Say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to recognize you're the conquering king. I want to be shut in and floating in your sea because I trust you because I know you won't forget me. You always remember your promises. 
I'm going to trust you. Some of you need to get back to church. You may have gotten saved a long time ago, but you've kind of been living a life of complacency. And you've kind of been finding your comfort in what you have. I want to encourage you. Find your comfort in Jesus Recognize his power in your life. Trust Jesus. Repent and believe. Let's pray.